And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. And this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Olivia de Havilland stars as twin sisters in a tour de force performance in the dark mirror on the screen director's playhouse from 1950. Then Archie receives a visit from the draft board on part one of Duffy's Tavern from 1951. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? Well, we're having another revival on television. Yeah, I like revivals. I know you do. I like to be uh, revived after I I'm, uh, have a night out it. at uh, the bar. Oh, because you're, you're Such pretty a crazy out there. Big yeah. drinker. This is a 30th anniversary of the original series. Yeah. Starring Candace Bergen. Oh, wait. It would be, uh, was that? Uh, yep. Gosh, what was that again? What was her name? Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Yeah. And it will be starring Candace Bergen, wow. which is what makes it so great. Yeah. And uh, so this will... Edgar Bergen's daughter. That's right. This yeah. will be on its original network, which You know was... who her brother was? Charlie McCarthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, let's see, back to Murphy Brown. Yeah. This will be on the original network, which was CBS. Right. Uh, 13 episodes, and she will reprise her role as, you remember what her occupation was? Yeah, she was like a newscaster. She was. She was like a TV anchor and a yeah. news journalist, but what's going to happen here is she's going to return to the world, but now we have cable news and social media and fake news, so it's going to be a very altered um, political and cultural climate. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's sounds very interesting. Well, I like her. Um, I mean, she's great. She's I mean, great, Candace and she's Bergen. still great. Yeah. And um, some of the other original cast members are supposed to return. They're in talks, and um, we can look forward to uh, this. This was on for 10 seasons, wow. 1988 no idea. to 98. It was that long. Me neither. Wow. And when can we expect um, it? It'll be one of the new shows this fall on CBS. Soon then. All right. The very good. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. All right. It's time now for the Screen Director's Playhouse. House. This is a radio adaptation of The Dark Mirror. It stars Olivia de Havilland as twin sisters, one of whom is a homicidal maniac. Let's tune this in. March 31st, 1950, part one of the Screen Director's Playhouse. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Miss Olivia de Havilland, production The Dark Mirror, director Robert Siodmak. The Hollywood Screen Directors present a reflection on murder. The motion picture drama The Dark Mirror, starring Academy Award winner Miss Olivia de Havilland. 
Tonight, Mr. Haviland recreates her original dual role in the film as she plays the twin parts of Ruth and Terry. In a fashionable Fifth Avenue apartment, Dr. Frank Peralta was murdered. Stabbed in the back. The only evidence of disorder was a shattered mirror. Arrested on suspicion of murder was Miss Terry Collins, Dr. Peralta's fiancée, and her identical twin sister, Ruth. Mr. District Attorney, we've been at this questioning for hours and getting nowhere. Now, look, identical twins, which one of you girls was with Dr. Peralta last night? One of us spent the evening at Jefferson Park, and the other... Never mind. How about you, sister? One of us stayed home. Uh, But which one did which is what I'm asking you. Which one did which? One of us. That's what I've been hearing for hours. One of us spent the evening at Jefferson Park, and one of us stayed home. Dr. Elliot, you're a psychologist and authority on the subject of identical twins, and you're personally acquainted with these girls, and I'll hold it, Lieutenant Stevenson. I knew these girls one at a time. They were working at the newspaper counter in my office building. I didn't know they were twins. Dr. Elliot, you knew Dr. Peralta and had conversation with him the day he was murdered. He asked you if you ever came across a case of split personality and whether it was dangerous. All right? Clarify that. I told him I couldn't say that he had to cite a specific case. Then he said I had a battle with her this morning and I'm seeing her tonight. Seeing who tonight? Miss Collins, I suppose. Which one? I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, Where do we go from here, Mr. District Attorney? Nowhere. You haven't a witness that can tell one girl from the other. I wouldn't have a chance in court. Young ladies, one of you is a murderess. You've killed a man in cold blood. The other is an accomplice. But the law forbids the indiscriminate prosecution of more than one person in order to make sure of one guilty one. I have no words adequate to express my contempt for both of you. Now get out. We're free? No, free. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Au revoir, Miss Collins. All right, sit down, Doc. I'm a peculiar guy. I don't like the perfect crime, not even in books. So? You're a twin expert. Do you know anything, whatever, about these two dames that would give me a chance to begin work? Oh, sure. The crime. You don't just suppose anyone could commit a murder, do Look, you? Look, you're going to have to be very patient with me. Uh, just what do you mean by that? Character, personality. Not even nature can duplicate character. Even in twins. One of the Collins girls could, and one couldn't commit murder. That's all there is to it. Doc, do you often interview twins? Often. But not for the police. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you like one of those girls. Now, suppose she's innocent, living with a killer. And one of them killed once with a knife. Don't you think there's a chance she'll kill again? Her sister, if she ever became nervous about her? There's no doubt about it. I'll never ask you the name or proof. It's out of the question, Lieutenant. I'm not a detective. Besides, I didn't say I was in love with the girl. I simply said I like her. But how do I know she wasn't the one who did it? Come in. Hiya, Doc. Glad to see you. I'm Terry. That's Ruth. That simplifies things immeasurably. Thank you. It's been two weeks since we've seen you, Doctor. 
And surely you've seen the papers. We're celebrities now. And out of a job, too, I gather, Terry. And I don't know who'll hire us either after what the district attorney said. That's exactly why I'm here. You know, I'm an old twin collector, and I'm going to add you two to my collection. $25 a week apiece, and you appear in my laboratory three times a week for an hour. For science. What do you say, Ruth? I don't think we're interested. I don't like the idea of being a guinea pig. I don't want to press you, but if you're afraid... We have nothing to be afraid of, Doctor. Nothing but snoopers. Well, in that case, there's nothing more to be said. Ruth, I think we should do it. I don't think Dr. Elliot's a snooper, and we could certainly use the money. You don't mind being asked a lot of personal questions? Why should I, or why should you? We have nothing to fear. And we've always liked Dr. Elliot. Both of us. Ruth, I hope you can see things Terry's way. But if you can't, I'll understand and no harm done. Bye now. Ruth, what's the matter with you? You think that was very wise? Why? What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid. There's... Don't lie about it, Ruth. You are afraid. You're more and more afraid every day. Why? Terry, you know very well what it is. You think I killed him. Why don't you admit it? But I don't. You know I don't. Then why are you so frightened? Oh, Terry, if they knew which one of us was in Dr. Peralta's apartment that night, you know what that would mean. He proposed to me there. And I said yes. Why should I kill him? I know that, dear. I know you didn't do it. I know it so well that I'm willing to do anything to keep them from learning you were in his apartment that night. That's the only reason I'm frightened. Believe me, dear. Please believe me. Well, then, is there anything about yourself that you're afraid for Elliot to learn? Oh, of course not. Well, then, stop worrying. There's no need for it. And besides, he's very good-looking. I like him. After all the tests we've made in this laboratory, Terry, I believe I can tell you and Ruth apart. Well, you're the first one who ever could. <laughs> who do you like best? Ruth or... Naturally you, Terry. Let's get down to business again. Now, these are pictures of ink blots. Just blobs of ink and the paper folded over. Tell me what you see in the blots. Why? That's just another way of examining personality. Hmm. This blot looks like a lamb. Under its front paws are two men, face down, with their arms outstretched. It all seems symbolic of something. The lamb looks so innocent, but it has two men under its paws. Symbolic of what? The lamb of death. And what does this blot represent to you? Well, I see a drum majorette with a high bearskin shako. She's very graceful and light-footed. Mm. Your mind runs toward pleasantry. You know, you were telling me you always leaned on Terry. Yes. All my life, Terry's been like an older sister to me, always helping and protecting me. I remember once when I was about 16, I was crazy about a boy, Freddie Eklund. But Terry simply couldn't stand him. She said he wasn't on the level, and that's the way it turned out. He wasn't. Now, how'd you find out? He dated Terry one night, and she told me. Oh, but that's kid stuff. Let's try another experiment, Ruth. I'm going to give you some words. 
As soon as you hear the word, you answer with the first word that comes to your mind. You see? Mm-hmm. Table. Um, chair. Lamp. Shade. Dark. Night. Mirror. Death. But Ruth, how could you have said it? When he said mirror and you said death, it proved you were scared. I didn't know. It just popped out. I don't understand. But I do. I understand some of that mumbo-jumbo. And it's a dead giveaway that it's still in your mind and that I had something to do with it. I'm not afraid of him. I can do that stuff 24 hours a day and beat him at it every time. It's you I'm worried about. But, Terry, I think you're wrong about Scott Elliott. He isn't trying to use me. He's pretty grand, you know. You're falling in love with him, aren't you, Ruth? Oh, you keep saying that to me all the time. Of course not. Well, don't. Moon. Fiends. White. Black. King. Queen. Death. Mirror. How is my character development, Doctor? Very interesting, my dear Terry. Perhaps you've read my mind well enough to know that I might like seeing you. That's a mighty fine invitation. But I'll have to wait until we finished our tests. All right. But the first night afterward, it's a date. You won't forget. Cross my heart. Goodbye now. Detective Lieutenant Stevenson, please. Hello, uh, Scott Elliott, Lieutenant. I have some news for you. One of our young ladies is insane. Very clever, very intelligent. But insane. Ruth, did you spend the evening with Dr. Elliot? What? Yes. I warned you to stay away from him. He's trying to pump you. Oh, I'm sorry, but I can't help but think he's pretty trustworthy. Ruth, it's getting late. Why don't you go to bed, darling? Wake up, Ruth. I said, wake up. Wake up. What? What? What's the matter? What's the matter? You were sobbing hysterically. It was pretty harrowing for a few minutes. Oh. Oh, you must be mistaken, Terry. Tonight wasn't the first time. It happened last night and the night before that. Don't you want to know what seems to be frightening you? Oh, I don't know whether I do or not. You keep repeating it over and over. In your sleep. You're worried about one of us being crazy. Oh, this is awful. It frightens me. The whole idea of talking and dreaming and sobbing and remembering nothing about it. Well, it can't be very pleasant. But it's really not so important. Just bad dreams. Oh, I... I don't know what to say. I... The night before last, you jumped out of bed screaming someone was putting the lights on and off. <laughs> Darling, the lights were never on. Oh, something's happening to me, and I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. <laughs> I'm worried about you, Ruth. I must watch you more closely before something dreadful happens to you. Oh, I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. Yeah. There. Just remember I'm with you. 
And I'm always going to be with you, no matter what happens. Well, Terry, this is one of your last tests. At the end of the week, I shall be forced to fire you. In other words, I can look forward to a date with you Saturday night? I'm afraid I can't make it. Who's my rival? You have no rival. Come on. Let's get on with the lie detector experiment. Hmm? You can ask me anything you wish. I have nothing to fear. I know that. You ready? Ready. Ruth was telling me about a boy you knew in Ohio with whom she was in love and you didn't care very much for. Oh, Freddie Eklund. Why? What did she say? She just said you told her he wasn't on the level and proved it. Was she complaining? Oh, good heavens, no. She looks upon you as her big sister. Did she tell you that I knew him first? No, I don't believe she did. Well, that's the truth of the matter. I met him first and introduced him to her. And he didn't care in the slightest for her, and I knew it. And then he started going around with her, without her even dreaming for one second that it was actually me that he was interested in. Now I know the answer. Lieutenant Stevenson, I invited you to my apartment to tell you positively that Ruth didn't do it. She isn't capable of murder. Well, that does narrow it down a bit. Terry's a paranoiac. A paranoiac has no more conscience, no more sense of right or wrong than than a two-year-old. Paranoiac is capable of doing anything. Of killing her sister, Ruth? Yes. We must do something to protect her. All right. Get hold of Ruth right away and break the news to her. No matter how hard it is. All right, I will. And watch out for yourself. Or you'll be the new Dr. Peralta. Well, I don't figure very seriously in her calculations. She didn't mind those tests. They were just another challenge to her. Another opportunity to show the world what contempt she has for it. I still say, be careful, Doc. And tell Ruth right away. Hello? Hello, Ruth. Ruth, are you alone? Yes. Why? Well, I don't want Terry to know. But I want you to come to my apartment as soon as possible. It's vitally important. I'll be right over. Scott. What? Ruth, but I just talked to you. What? Never mind, I'm glad you're here. I saw the light in your apartment. I've been walking, and I thought... Oh, I... You're pale, darling. You look as if you've seen a ghost. Something like that. Hallucinations. What causes hallucinations? Hallucinations? Things you imagine you see or hear. Oh, bad nerves. Just nerves. Or a sick mind? Yes. A sick mind. Ruth, there's something I must tell you, but you're too emotionally upset to hear it now. Darling, please, go straight home and relax. I have some urgent business in the next minutes. Everything's going to be all right. I love you very much. I'll be all right. Goodbye, Scott. Lieutenant Stevenson, please. Lieutenant? 
Terry Collins will be in my apartment in the next few minutes, pretending to be Ruth Collins. I don't have time to explain. All I know is that I'm going to play the role of a human booby trap. Stick by your telephone. Let's break from the screen director's playhouse. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of February, you can digitally download Classic Radio's Greatest Shows Volume One, featuring 12 shows including Sam Spade, Amos and Andy, Sherlock Holmes, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Inner Sanctum, and more. It's regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during February at 50% off is The Black Museum Volume One, starring Orson Welles in 12 true crime stories. It's regularly priced. Priced at $19.99, but it's yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Classic Radio's Greatest Shows Volume One and the Black Museum Volume One at half price. In March, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during February. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Olivia De Havilland in the Screen Directors Playhouse. Ruth, it's not an easy thing to tell you, but I feel that I should. Terry's not well. She's sick inside, and she needs your help. Sick? How? She's paranoid. She's twisted inside. That's absurd. I called you tonight because I want you to talk to her, Terry. I want you, as the nearest and dearest to her, to persuade her to go to her doctor and put herself in his care. And if I refuse to insult her with such incredible rot? But you mustn't. I can't tell you how important it is that she get this care immediately, Ruth. And if Ruth refuses? If you refuse, Terry, and you are Terry, I'm afraid I'll have to tell who killed Frank Peralta and why. There's nothing you'll be able to do about it. Whatever you guess. I'll remind you anyway. You killed Peralta because the same thing happened to you that has always happened to you before. Remember Freddie Eklund, the boy Ruth loved, who didn't want any part of you. Well, Doctor Peralta was in love with Ruth without even knowing she existed. How interesting. He romanced you and finally asked you to marry him. He didn't know there were twins. All he knew was that every now and then the girl at the newspaper counter brought him a warmth that he missed at other times. And that's what puzzled him. That's why he asked me about a split personality. You weren't aware of this until that night in the apartment when he spoke of this curious difference from time to time. Then you knew what had happened again. It was Ruth he was in love with, not you. So you made sure that if you couldn't have his love, neither should Ruth. Who else have you told this to? Nobody else so far. Terry, I implore you to go to your doctor and be guided. There's no necessity for that. There's nothing you can do about it. You're wasting your time. But haven't you forgotten Ruth? No. No one would take seriously the word of a girl who suffers from hallucinations. Or hasn't she told you? Just a minute. What do you mean by that? Oh, excuse me. I must 
Oh, yes, Lieutenant Stevenson. I've got to kill him. I'll stab oh, him with these scissors. Be right Terry. Ruth's dead. She's killed herself. Does that surprise you? I'm sorry, Doc. The body's inside that room with the medical examiner. One in. Can you tell me what happened, Lieutenant? An overdose of sleeping pills. Why'd she do it? Her conscience. But she's free now, poor darling. And I have a right to some peace, too. Come on now. Make a clean breast of it. You'll feel better. She killed him. She was twisted inside. Scott told me tonight. You mean Ruth? No, Terry. I'm Ruth. She was sick inside with jealousy. That's why she killed him, Scott says. Wait a minute. You can't get away with it. You're Terry. Now, Scott, I thought you said you could tell us apart. Well, the test showed only what I've known for a long time, that she hated me, hated me from the bottom of her heart, because men found it easy enough to like me, but not her. The mirror. The mirror! I see Ruth there! In the mirror! I'm sorry, Terry. She's not dead! Put down that face, Terry. All right, Sergeant. Take her to headquarters. Somebody do something for me! Now, Terry, now. Save me! Take it easy now. Save me! Terry, Terry! Save me! I'm not at all surprised that she smashed the mirror. I'm sorry I had to fake Ruth's death, Doc, but... That was the only way I could get Terry to open up. Under the circumstances, Lieutenant, I forgive you. Scott, was the mirror me? The reflection was. That's what twins are, you know. Reflections of each other. Everything in reverse. What are they going to do with Terry? Don't worry, darling. She'll get the best that modern psychiatry can offer. Someday... Who knows? Someday, Scott. There will be a someday for Terry. I know it. I know it. We'll be waiting for her, darling. You and I. Now, here again is tonight's star, Miss Olivia de Havilland. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's permissible for an actress to step out of her story, then it's only right that her director step out from behind the cameras. And so I'd like you all to meet the director of The Dark Mirror and of such other films as The Killers, The Spiral Staircase, and The Phantom Lady, Robert Siodmak. Thank you, my dear. Thank you very much. But tonight, nobody wants to hear about directors. Oh, that's no way for the guest of honor to talk. No, the honor doesn't belong to me. But it's the screen director's playhouse, the honor of a performance by an actress so superb that she has won her second Academy Award. Thank you very much. Well, first you won it for the award to each his own, and now for the heiress. But you know, they say in Hollywood that everything runs in three. So now you must do it once more. (laughs) Receiving a second Oscar is a thrill beyond explaining, but for the future, well, all I'm looking forward to is an opportunity to go on acting as well as I know how. And that gives us all something to look forward to. Good night, Olivia de Havilland. Good night. Good night, everyone. 
And good night to you, Miss Olivia de Havilland and Robert C. Oddback. Remember next Friday, Douglas Fairbanks and the Fighting O'Flynn with screen director Arthur Pearson, brought to you by RCA Victor. World leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Nunnally Johnson's The Dark Mirror was presented through the courtesy of Universal International Pictures, who soon will release One Way Street, starring James Mason, Marta Torrin, and Dan Duryea. Miss Olivia de Havilland is currently starring in Paramount's The Heiress. Robert C. Oddmack's latest production is the Universal International Picture Deported, starring Marta Torrin and Jeff Chandler. Included in tonight's cast were David Ellis, John Daner, Francis X. Bushman, Helen Andrews, and Frank Barton. The Dark Mirror was adapted for radio by Jack Rubin, and original music was composed and conducted by William Lava. Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley and directed by Bill Karn. This is Jimmy Wallington speaking and inviting you to listen again next Friday when RCA Victor presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Douglas Fairbanks, production The Fighting O'Flynn, director Arthur Pearson. It's the great J. Rupert Durante, next on NBC. And that's The Dark Mirror, starring Olivia de Havilland in the Screen Director's Playhouse from March 31st, 1950. Hope you enjoyed that. Hey, look what I have here in my hand, guys. You oh, see this? the new issue of Remind. The very new issue. This is the February issue of Remind magazine. And look at all those beautiful gals on the cover. That is Charlie's Angels on the cover of Remind magazine. It's all about top TV sleuths of the 1970s. We also have Kojak, Rockford Files, Mannix, McLeod, and much, much more, Starsky and Hutch, and so many others. This is a great magazine, folks. If you don't know about Remind Magazine, you should check it out. Go to their website, remindmagazine.com. They're our main sponsor here on Hollywood 360. And you can pick up an issue of Remind Magazine at just about any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store. But the best way to subscribe is to go to their website because you save about 60% off the newsstand price when you go to remindmagazine.com. It's bigger and better than ever. It's now 64 pages, Lisa, and it's all color. Every page is full color now in the new and improved Remind Magazine. It's our main sponsor. Check them out. They're an awesome magazine, and you'll love it. Check out Remind Magazine at remindmagazine.com. All right, it's time now for Duffy's Tavern. Let's go back to February 2nd, 1951. He receives a visit from the draft board. Here's Ed Archie Gardner in part one of Duffy's Tavern. It's Duffy's Tavern, the Friday night transcribed feature on NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. And by the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, neuralgia. And now, here we go, friends, to Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Hello, Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat. Archie, the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. I'm just going over the mail here. We got a registered letter from the Department of Sanitation. <laughs> yeah, it's about our garbage, see? Claim it's giving their pigs ulcers. <laughs> Man, what a nerve they got, implying that their pigs is better than our customers. Well, I know they are, but I don't like to hear it from strangers. <laughs> also, we're in touch with the health inspector. Well, yesterday he put a rat trap in the kitchen, and when he comes back today, the rat has eaten the trap. <laughs> 
and sitting there with a hungry look in his eye waiting for the inspector. <laughs> well, it hasn't all been good news today, though, Duffy. The sad news is that uh, Peaches Latour, the striptease, gave me back my engagement ring. Well, it'll save a lot of embarrassment, of course. Now she won't have the finance company hollering, take it off. <laughs> Yes, sir, and this is learn me a lesson, Duffy. From now on, I ain't taking the slightest interest in no more dames. No, sir, I'm true with women forever. You heard me forever. Miss Duffy. Yeah, Archie? Hand me that copy of Esquire. Esquire? Some uh, way to forget women. Miss Duffy, for your information, Esquire has articles, too. Then how come you're reading it with a pair of scissors? Happens to be my way of trying to forget. Uh, tell me, what happened between you and Peaches? Ah, the same old story. She's just like the rest of them. All she thinks about is a family and a home and kids. Nothing but a gold digger. Well, if you ask me, you're just as well off. What do you mean? Marrying a woman who struts around the stage wearing nothing but an off-the-shoulder fan. Duffy, it happens that I admire Miss Latour for her artistry. Like I admire a fine musician. Never seen you looking that way at Toscanini. Well, that's all in a pair. From now on, I'm sure with the female species of the sex forever. As far as dames is concerned, I'm the world's biggest hermit. Hey, Archie... Look at that pretty girl just coming in the door. Mother, buy me that. I thought you said you were the world's biggest hermit. I'm also the world's biggest liar. <laughs> well, uh, what can I do for you, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh... It's Miss. I'm in. <laughs> uh, what can I do for you, honey? Please, I don't allow strangers to call me honey. Then let me introduce myself. The name is Archie. My name is Marianne. Hiya, honey. <laughs> well, uh, what you doing here? I'm looking for a man named Paul Papapopoulos. What was the name? Paul Papapopoulos. Come again. Don't you hear well? Certainly, but I like to watch you pucker while you're saying it. <laughs> uh, tell me, uh, what is this, uh... What your populace look like? Well, he's very handsome. Tall, nice wavy hair, broad shoulders, lovely brown eyes. Honey, change that to blue eyes and I'm your papa pupilus. <laughs> Please, we're wasting time. We're wasting time? Okay, in that case, leave us get married. <laughs> well, what do you say? My answer is definitely in the negative. Darling. Oh, I give up. Oh, Archie, huh? you want it on the telephone. Okay, excuse me, Marianne. I'll be back in a nuts. Hmm. Oh, waiter. Waiter. Don't they have a waiter around here? How do you do? <laughs> hey, uh, uh, what can I do for you, honey? I'm hungry. What's fresh in the kitchen? What's fresh in the kitchen? The cook, she just pinched me. <laughs> I think I'm wasting time here. I'd better get back to work. Uh, Pray tell me, where are you working? The draft board. The draft board! Yes. By the way, what's your name? My name? 
Jakie panie Sławnik? 803. <laughs> Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mary Ann. Say, boss, what was that telephone call? Oh, uh, that was the community chest. They wanted to know how much we needed this year. <laughs> Now, leave us get back to romance, honey. Romance? But the difference in our ages. How old are you? Twenty. How old are you? I'm a little older than that. I'm going on 24. Twenty-four? Yes, I'm prematurely young. <laughs> yep, honey, I'm single, 24, happy, but not for long. Say, <laughs> boss. Huh? I have news for you. What? This girl is working at So the... what? Suppose she does work. I ain't too proud to marry a working girl. <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to tell you is... Yeah, she get back in the kitchen, will you? When I want any information, I'll get in touch with you. Just send me a card from Camp Dix. <laughs> What's this guy talking about? So you're 24. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You mind if I jot your name down my notebook? Only 20 and a kid keeps a notebook. <laughs> and look at all the guys' names in that book. Marianne, it's lucky I ain't the jealous type. Of course, I got to admit, I got a little book too, but it's different from yours. <laughs> you're telling her. <laughs> in my notebook, I only got two columns. Yes, column left, column right. See, in one column, I write down the dames I go out with that like the next, you know. And the other column? That one is blank. You get it? Yes, I get it. And with jokes like that, it's hard to believe you're only 24. But I am. Besides, you look so much older. Those wrinkles. Oh, damn. Well, you see, I was born on a farm, and I got squeezed when I was an infant. I, I had a chamois incubator with two fat hands. <laughs> Besides, uh, youth is only skin deep, you know. You mean beauty. Honey, you flatter me. Well, Archie, I have to be getting back to the office. Well, okay, if you have to go, but I, I hope I'll be hearing from you very soon. On that, you can count. <laughs> yes, you stop butting in, will you? Now get back to the kitchen. <clears throat> well, Mary Ann, as, uh, as me frat brothers would say, it's been ginger peachy making you. <laughs> well, goodbye now. Goodbye. 23 skidoo. Don't be smart, Miss Duffy. You, 24. <laughs> What's so funny? It's been your favorite age for years. Well, how come you picked 24? Well, I don't know. 20 seemed a little too young, and 40 seemed a little too old, so I split the difference. Well, that would make 30. Miss Duffy, when a guy's in love, do you think he's got time for Albridge's? Thank you to stop throwing clinkers into the furnace of me passion. You just don't know what it is. One little Dan Cupid sneaks up on you with his bow and arrow, and he softly whispers, uh, Hello, Arch. Tell me, old friend Dan Stupid. Uh, Cupid. <laughs> oh, Finnegan, you should have seen what was just making love to me. The prettiest little... Hey, what's that dirt doing all over your face? I've been watching some guy dig a grave. Oh, well, this classy little 20-year-old struts in here. Wait a minute. 
If they were digging a grave, how come the dirt on your face? I just got out in time. <laughs> well, anyway, her name turns out to be Mary Ann, and before you know it... The grave. Who was they burying? The Uncle Louie. Your Uncle Louie? I didn't even know he was dead. He ain't. Well, then what did they bury him for? A skull got him. <laughs> In the case of a skunk, you don't bury the guy, you bury the clothes. Oh, it's you forget. Uncle Louie's a nudist. <laughs> Tell me, ain't there nobody in your family that's normal? Well, you've met me father. Yeah. I think that answers the question. It certainly does. Uh, how is the old gent these days? Well, I'm a little worried about the governor, Arch. All day long, he sits around the house and broods. Oh, sitting around the house. What happened to his job at the airplane factory? Oh, it's still there. It's just that Gage hasn't got it anymore. <laughs> oh, he was fired, huh? No. It seems that Dad and the foreman at the airplane factory couldn't see eye to eye on a production problem. So what happened? Oh, Dad quit. And they're still putting wings on B-29. <laughs> the story of Billy Mitchell all over again. Uh, now, leave me be, Finney, and I want to be alone with me thoughts of Marianne. Oh, for goodness sakes, Archie, act your age. Okay, so I ain't 24, but by the same token, I ain't pushing 40, neither. Maybe not, but you're sure leaning on it. Well, I can see certain people just don't understand young love. Now, turn on that jukebox, and uh, if anybody wants me, I'll be in the back room. Doing what? Practicing the Charleston. <laughs> And that's the first portion of Duffy's Tavern. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. The Commuter, rated PG-13. It's action and drama by Lionsgate Studio. Liam Neeson stars in, yet again, another action film where his family is threatened with death. And he's in a race against the clock, as time is never on his side. He's an ex-cop in this one, an insurance salesman, whose daily commute home begins with a nightmare. He's blackmailed by a woman played by Vera Faminga into finding the identity of a passenger on the train just before the last stop. Let's take a listen. I don't understand. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. In the bathroom, there is $75,000. That money is yours if you do this one little thing. The six-foot-four Neeson is perfect as an action hero, and this is the fourth action movie he's completed with director Jean-Claude Sierre. Here's another clip. I'm not going to do this. She's trying to set me up. No one forced you to take that money. What do you want from me? The bottom line, I'm way out. Two stars out of four. Okay, I'm a Liam Neeson fan. He's fantastic, but gee, he needs to start finding better scripts. This one is way too long and unrealistic. 
I am not kidding you. At one point in the movie, the audience was actually laughing during a dramatic part, uh, including me. Check out all of my reviews and interviews on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to Duffy's Tavern from 1951. Then, it's a good mystery on Inner Sanctum. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you next time right here on Hollywood 360.